I'm sorry, the scammer was calling me for some reason. Oh, okay. Well, tell him I said hi. Oh, by the way, speaking of which, Duke says hi. Oh, hi, Duke. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Hey, everybody. Hey, you've got to uh, listen to Pie Factory Podcast, episode 143. So how are you doing, Sean? How are you doing, Sean? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm getting over a cold that has been bothering me for a couple of weeks and is just trying desperately to cling to life. So I might be a little bit uh, uh, throatily subjunctificated uh, or something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting asymptotically better, though. I, I think I'm getting a little bit of a cold myself, but uh, yeah, it's just one of those days. It's been horrible weather here. I mean, it's been cloudy a lot and warm, and it's like they're saying there's very little chance we're going to have a white Christmas out here, yeah. which I know people don't like snow, but you know what? It's nice to have a white Christmas on the day. Yeah. On a day, you don't have to go anywhere. So In the uh, 80s and 90s, we always had snow on Christmas, but it's rare now. It's, I mean, Well, I don't know about that because I remember hearing sometime in the 80s a statistic. I don't know if it still holds true, but uh, the Chicago area, all the Christmases since they recorded, uh, only one third of them have been white. So I have pictures. Uh, I mean, 78, 79, and 79, 80. I mean, those were like huge blizzard years that we had here. I remember 78, 79. That was uh, ah, the Plainfield Township Highway Department. The snow was so deep that they plowed our street with a backhoe, oh. and uh, they dumped a ten-foot pile of snow in our driveway. Huh. Fortunately, we had one of those circle driveways, so it wasn't a huge. It was a pain, but it wasn't as, as horrible as it could have been. But um, yeah, I remember my brother and I. We took that huge pile of snow and we built a cave in there, and then a slide down into it, and it was so much fun. But hmm. uh, uh, the memories of youth misspent. Oh, yes. But, uh, so uh, there you go. And uh, so how are you doing, Sean? How, how, what you been playing? What you been doing? Oh, my goodness. What have I been doing? What have I been playing? I don't, I really don't remember what I've been playing, to be quite honest. Obviously, besides what we're going to talk about in this episode. Oh, I know. I recently had remembered that I have started a tradition oh. of playing the Atari 2600 Homebrew Toy Shop Trouble. Ah, yes. And trying to make it to Christmas Day in that game before Christmas. Well, I did it in my first attempt, which isn't really surprising because I accidentally realized either last year or the year before that you can actually play beyond Christmas. It's just that when you actually get to Christmas, you get a congratulatory screen that has all the the game credits Uh on it. And um, if you press the fire button, it advances to January 1st. Uh Uh-huh. So, as, oh, there's more play, playing nice. times to this. So, yeah, I, I went up to January 14th. And I'm like, okay, there's one annual obligation I've done. There's another obligation, annual Christmas obligation that I have not yet done, and that is sit down and watch uh, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, <laughs> complete with the host segments, and let's have a Patrick oh, yeah. Swayze Christmas. Oh, let's have a Patrick Swayze Christmas. Is There's no tradition like a new tradition, as Crow mm. Robot says. Oh gosh! I just recently purchased the uh, the Rift Tracks uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians live, and um, you could tell they were struggling to try to not do some of the same jokes they did before. I think they slipped up once, yeah, and kind of did one, but uh, for the most part, it was pretty good. It had a really good short before it, though I can't remember the name of it, 
but it was like some toys come to life and uh, it was just, and they get married and two of them get married and, and it was hilarious. It was a, it was a good time, which uh, that means I now own uh, four different copies of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, three on DVD. I own the yeah. original Unrift, the Mystery Science Theater version, the Cinematic Titanic version, and now oh, the wow. Rift Tracks version. <laughs> yeah, I have the uh, MST3K version as part of the the Essentials 2 DVD set. The other one is Monos, The Hands of Fate. I have the uh, Unrift on DVD because uh, there was... They reissued the Hooray for Santa Claus song on Record Store Day a couple uh-huh. of years ago. Oh, wow. And included with the record was the DVD of the movie. Uh-huh. I haven't watched that yet. And I have a copy of Sven Gulli's uh, take Ooh. on Santa Claus Conquers the Martians that uh-huh. he did, I think, in 1997. I'm uh-huh. pretty sure he's he's done it since, though, in fairly recent years. Sven Gulli needs to do, like, a Sven Gulli live uh, show in the Chicago area. Berwin. Oh, mm-hmm. the previous podcast that I used to do. Near the end, we actually interviewed Trace Beaulieu, voice of Crow T. Robot, who was also involved in the cinematic Titanic. And I asked him about his response to them doing it again. What happens at the very beginning of each episode, they'll show like them being let into the, into the studio. And uh, when the, the, uh, the guy leading them into the studio said they were doing Santa Claus Conquers the Martian, Trace uh, freaks out and tries to run off the stage. And I asked him about that. And he goes, yeah, that was a real response because I didn't want to do that movie again. <laughs> Oh, man, he's a fun guy. If you ever get to see uh, The Mads Are Back, it's uh, him and Frank Conniff. Uh, check them out. They're pretty good. They got, uh, what is their website? I think it's dumbindustries.com. Uh, just uh, do a Google search for Dumb Industries, and you'll find uh, find a trace in them. As for Manos, Manos, however you pronounce it. It's always said Manos in the movie. It is, isn't it? Yes. It's a Spanish word, so. Apparently, there's a new Manos... Uh, TV show. Oh, good grief. Well, not a TV show, but like a series, like, you know, like like a web series. It's called the Manos, the Debbie Chronicles, which, of course, uh, Jackie Naaman Jones, who played Debbie. They are milking this thing so much. Oh, God, yeah. But can you blame them? I would, too, if something like this happened to me. And in fact, I think that's also through Dumb Industries as well. And Frank Akonov has a bunch of books published through Dumb Industries. I got a couple of them. One of them is, uh, I think it's called 25 Movies That Changed My Life in No Way Whatsoever. <laughs> That's a great title of the book. His entry on Manos was great. Mm-hmm. He didn't even really talk about the movie. He just talked about things he'd rather do than watch it again. But um, so, you know, check that stuff out. As for gaming. Oh, yeah. Just uh, last week, I started playing through Duke Nukem 3D again on the 20th anniversary world tour thing. But I'm going through each chapter in order as it's meant to be. A couple days before we're recording this, LGR, Lazy Game Reviews on YouTube, had an episode about Christmas Flash games. Did not realize that there's actually a project out there called Flashpoint. It's for Windows or 7.7 or higher with limited Mac and Linux support also available so far. But... Um, they uh, have an archive of uh, Flash games, and they've, uh, I guess they've really taken up the security uh, problems with Flash originally, and so you can play them natively, secure in the knowledge that they've done everything they can to plug the, uh, the security f- holes in Flash. And so I've been playing a few games on that. Uh, I haven't really touched 
uh, any of my consoles, although I uh, tested a, a video capture device was it last week, I think it was, and played some Atari 8-bit stuff uh, and during a test live stream. And I was thinking I screwed up my entire recording setup doing that, but apparently not. So I was hoping to do the um, Collector Vision Phoenix, but that uh, doesn't work. The thing is, it has both HDMI and uh, composite support, but the HDMI support has like a security thing in there and it won't play any anything off of, say, like a, uh, a Blu-ray player or anything that's got like HDMI security, which I didn't even know was a thing, to be perfectly honest. But uh, so I did that. I've been playing some Mario Maker 2 on our Switch. That's really fun. I designed a, a pretty easy uh, first level, and I th- was pretty happy with it. And uh, and then they got, you can test out some other levels. And I've been watching a lot of the, like, impossibly difficult levels on YouTube. And there's this one guy I was watching, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he plays through these levels that are impossibly difficult that have a 0% success rate, and he solves them, and... Um, and some people are just insane with the stuff that they're uh, they're doing. Like you have to carry things and then jump off of them at the right time, and it's just weird. Uh, some of the stuff these people are doing. I tried playing the uh, Friday the Thirteenth game on the Switch again, and I just can't get the hang of the controls. I mean, they have a little thing in the corner of the screen that you that's you know supposedly like lays out what each button does or whatever. I mean, and that's fine and all. I appreciate that. But make it readable. I can't read it, even with my glasses on and sitting even really close to it. Of course, now somebody's going to say, you know, there's a setting for that. You can make that bigger. And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I should look for that. But Hmm. Uh, There was an update to Atari 50. Oh. They added some 2,600 games, including Maze Craze and Bowling, which I'm glad they put Bowling on there. Uh, let me think. They added a couple of Lynx games. One was Warbirds. I don't have the whole list in front of me, but uh, apparently they're planning on doing more uh, game additions over the next year. So I'm holding out hope that they uh, do some Atari games stuff and put some Atari ST stuff on there. I have a feeling, though, if they do Atari ST stuff, they're going to have to do more like of a history thing for uh, the Tremiel era, which I don't know if they're going to want to do. But uh, I, I really would love to see, like, Gauntlet and Paperboy and, and stuff like that on there. But Oh, it would be really amazing, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, I highly doubt that one would happen, yeah. but uh, you never know. You never know. I'm sure Mike Judge would probably <laughs> have no problem with that. But uh, now they released the Atari Plus console, which they just added a uh, firmware update, which allows use of paddles on it, which I guess they didn't <laughs> allow before, but you can... Yeah plug your regular paddles into it. And that thing is such a missed opportunity. But again, I'm, I'm not thinking I'm the target demographic for it. But it's a missed opportunity in the sense that it can't use flash carts. But not flash carts, but uh, like SD cards. Uh, if you have something that you have, like, uh, say, a Mateos card or whatever, and you have like a, a dip switch or a, uh, uh, what do they call that, a potentiometer, where you can turn it to select a game. Those will work, but like ones that use like a flash uh, a flash card will not because of the way it works. Hmm. Which brings you to another one. They also have this uh, Atari Game Station out, which is more in line with the uh, the previous uh, like the flashbacks. Except this one does not have a cartridge slot, and it can't use the original controllers. But it has an SD card slot, and you can load more games onto it, including games that aren't Atari games. And uh, I guess there's some. Uh, 
someone's already uh, adjusted the firmware to run MAME on it and, and that sort of thing. And that sort of thing would be a little bit more in my uh, wheelhouse, but I mean, I got flashcards right now, so why would I need it? But uh, current Atari is trying. I got to give them that. They're, oh, I don't yeah, think absolutely. They're, they're, they're not really successful, but they are trying, so you got to give them the credit where it's due. I'm just not the uh, the customer. Although, like I said on a past episode, I am interested in getting a couple of those uh, of the new CX-40 uh, joysticks. Yeah, I'm, I'm really considering one of the paddles. Yeah, mm-hmm, same here. I'm considering both of those. Oh yeah, and on the uh, on the 2600 plus, from what I understand, uh, the keypad and the what's the other one? The uh, video touchpad controllers don't work on the 2600 plus. I think my mother was considering getting that for me for Christmas because she called me once and she asked if my wife was home, and I was like, "Dude, you have her number. Just call her." But still, I handed her the phone, mm-hmm. and she walked away, and I heard her off in the distance. And she said, no, no, that, w- that wouldn't be a good idea. Well, because he has an actual Atari, so why would he mm-hmm. really need that? <laughs> well, that's just the thing, too. The, unless you modify your system, you can't use your old Ataris on uh, the current uh, television technology. I mean, you got to, you, you know, there's got to be a way to do it. And, and that's why I kind of a halfway applaud the 2600 plus. Because at least you can use your cartridges on it, and it's HDMI. But uh, yeah. oh, speaking of which, and I, I know I shouldn't do this because I am uh, unemployed, but I ordered one anyway. A company has developed a light gun that works with LCD TVs. Oh yeah, yeah. I think the company is called Sinden. I saw another company promoting one, but it uses like uh, like things that sit on the on the corners of your uh, television, kind of almost like a uh, like one of those uh, oh uh, like the uh, the center bar for like the the Wii. But this one actually works with the LCD. The only thing is right now it works only with uh, PCs. Uh, they're updating it to work with the PS1 and the PS2. Uh, no idea if they're going to have it work with the NES or the 2600, 7800. I would su- say that they'd probably try to get it work with the NES before they even... I wouldn't be surprised if they never don't even think about the uh, the 7800 or the 2600. Although well, it might work if through an emulator on your PC. Yeah. So I stupidly ordered one of those. It's like a three-week, uh, a three-week, um, Corp. Uh, lead time on those. So uh, I won't get that until the new year. So we might have it by the next episode, hopefully. And uh, that's all I've been up to these days. So paying all that money just to play Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt. Yep. Yep. So that's what I've been up to in. Oh, and I keep talking. I think I've mentioned this, but I have that 8-bit dough SN30 Pro Plus controller. And um, that thing is so sweet to use with the Switch. You don't have to use the Joy-Cons. So if you have a Switch, I suggest getting one of those. And it's pretty easy to get to pair with the, uh, with the with the Switch if you read the instructions like I didn't, like the first several times I tried. Uh-huh. But, uh, but uh... definitely get one of those. It's a great controller. I still use it. I have one of the older controllers sitting right here, too, which is the NES 30 Pro. And I haven't used it in a long time. Oh, check this out. Mm-hmm. I was using my uh, SN30 Pro Plus on my computer here, uh, playing, I think it was um, Yars Recharged. I've still got one level to do, and I cannot get past that level. No, 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 no. I was playing something in me. That's what it was. But I would push the controller in a certain direction. I was playing Smash TV, and that's what it was. Oh. And it would pull up the on-screen keyboard for some reason. And I'm like, what the hell? 
And I did some digging and digging and digging and come to find out if you had Steam running in the background, it overrides the controller input regardless of what game you're playing, whether it's through Steam or not. And so I had to go in there and find a setting to turn off the, uh, the override on Steam. And I, I don't remember what the setting was. And I'm like, well, that's kind of stupid. After I did that, it was working fine. But uh, yeah, might just take and uh, not have Steam running in the background. So that's what I've been doing. Hey, I got a quick question for you. Uh-huh. Penguins or puffins? Penguins. Penguins. Okay. I'm slightly on team puffin, but I got to give penguins credit. Puffins are cute and sweet. They have a horrible voice, but they're, they're, they're cuties. Penguins are cute, but they also have an attitude. Maybe I should give penguins the slight edge. I don't know. But uh, there's that one gif of the two penguins. Jif. Jif, whatever. I pronounce it how I want. The creator says graphic gif. Graphic gif. Okay. The creator says Yeah, I know what the creator says, but he's wrong in this case. So the person who named it is wrong. Guh, graphic. All right, Gim. It doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. But there's that one animated image of the two penguins where the one's walking by this other penguin and the other one just slaps it on the back. Oh, that's a classic. I love that one. And there was a Bloom County strip. And one of the panels was, I don't remember which character it was, but said to Opus, you know, the truth, Opus, is that you look more like a puffin than a penguin. And it's kind of right. Never been a huge fan of Bloom County, but I can see it. Hmm. I just never got into that. Pear pimples for hairy fish nuts. Uh-huh. Pogo's another comic I never got into. And right now, somewhere out of Delaware, I'm hearing snuggle bunnies. Gee, let me guess who. <laughs> Oh, speaking of which, Plaid Mouse is on our radar today, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, by the way, the day that we're recording this is the day after uh, Ferg's birthday. So happy birthday, Ferg. Oh, happy Ferg's day. Happy Ferg day to you. So, um, oh, and uh, 2600 Game by Game podcast came back. He's off of his almost year-long hiatus. Yep, yep. And it's good to have you back. It's nice to hear an old friend. He's not that old. Emphasis on friend. You thought as I say emphasis on old, but I can't talk on that. And just as you said that, I was scrolling through uh, Facebook, and there was a post on all things Atari and then some back uh-huh. in the day. Back in my day. So talk about timing there. So uh, do we have any addenda or errata? We have addenda. Oh? And I'm going to be totally honest about this because I probably should have gone back and listened to the episode, Uh but I made a discovery a few days ago when I was uh, playing some uh, Atari stuff, some Atari 2600 stuff. I should have listened to episode six to see if we talked about this, but we were discussing Burger Time, Mm -hmm. and I don't know why, but something told me, play the 2600 version of Burger Time. Uh Uh-huh. So I did, and I accidentally discovered that certain enemies, I don't think this worked with the egg, but it worked with the breadstick and the hot dog. Uh If you crush that enemy with the burger part, and then you walk across that same burger part before that Mm -hmm. enemy regenerates, Mm -hmm. the burger part will actually cause the enemy to fall down with it too. You know what? I remember doing that when I played this when I first got it way back low when it was released, but that's such a bad version of Burger, burger Time. That it I really got. is. It's so, oh my goodness. You know, it I, would be 10 times better if it was a little faster. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the problem with it. It's so slow. The second problem is the there's wonky collision detection. But yeah. What by the way, whatever happened to Chaotic Grill, the homebrew? Oh jeeps, I haven't heard, thought about that in years. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. That'd be interesting. But hey, uh, I'm quite happy with Beef Drop on the 7800. Uh huh. I like Beef Drop. It still takes a little getting used to the squashed characters, but uh, you know, it doesn't hurt the gameplay. I still think my favorite version of Burger Time is Burger Space on Linux. As I've said before, I need to play that again. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, it's very it's not a huge bit of difference from any other version of Burger Time, except you can be a little bit more trickier when you drop a a burger part down with the enemies riding on it. I can't really describe it. Really, I, I might have tried to describe it in episode six, but uh, you can make enemies fall with burger parts a little bit easier than you can do in any other version. That's that's kind of why I like it there. Uh, the last update. Uh, ROM for uh, Chaotic Grill, according to this, was November 29th of 2022. Oh, okay. So it's been worked on somewhat recently. About a year ago. Yeah. A little over a year ago, but uh, mm. last post in the thread was January 31st of this year. Hmm. Of 23. So, any more addenda in errata, or is that pretty much it? We do have an addendum to the previous episode in oh. the form of feedback that we got from somebody. Oh, yes, that's right. Because he uh, yeah. then he he sent it to us, and it came out like the day after we published. Or the day after we recorded. Or so. oh, it was the day after we recorded, because I remember I was in New Jersey when the last episode Jersey? published. Mm-hmm. I'm not in New Jersey now, by the way. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, should we uh, give the uh, feedback a listen? Let us do that. And this is from our friend Plaid Mouse, so of course Yay. we need to drop the intro right about here. Good morning, Pie Factory Podcast folks, or good, good, good evening, wherever you may be. Uh, this is Plaid Mouse coming to you from Wilmington, Delaware, uh, and making this recording for episode 142. Uh, hello, Jim and Sean. Hello. Thank you, as always, for allowing me to uh, share my thoughts I'm on blushing. the um, most. Uh, are the, let me thank you for le- allowing me to share my thoughts on the games that you're talking about. I was about to say that they're the most current games you're talking about, but they're not current games. And that's why we love them. <laughs> One of the reasons we love them. They're also just really good games. But before I get into the games, let's go ahead and talk about uh, some things that uh, have popped up in between my last recording for 141 and and this recording for episode 142. I want to talk about a post I made on Atari Age um, that I would like to verbalize here. So without further ado, here we go. Greetings from Delaware, everyone. I hope this day finds you all doing well. Chris++++, here's the answer to your question. Since Scattered Frog's name is a name of a foreign origin from the Japanese point of view, it would simply be oh, translated yeah. as, or transliterated as, Skata do Furogu. There's no way to directly <laughs> translate the verb rocks, Ribbit. as in she rocks or he rocks, uh, into Japanese. So the closest you would get is ne, which means it's great, isn't it? Or Sagoi, which means amazing. Therefore, the best translations would be Skata do Furogu wa ne, or Scattered Frog Sagoi, which means Scattered Frog is great, isn't he? Or Scattered Frog is amazing. 
Now, just for grins and giggles, I did a, a couple of literal translations, Ooh, okay. which my Japanese wife assures me makes no sense and is just plain <laughs> silly. But nonetheless, that's, that go. makes it all the better. Barabara na kaidu wa yine. The dismembered frog is great, isn't it? Or taksa no kaidu wa yine. Lots of frogs is great, right? <laughs> so. There you have it. Dismembered frog. <laughs> There's hmm. the uh, um, the verbalized um, uh, recording of my um, post on Atari Age as to uh, Chris plus plus plus's question of how would you say this. So there you go. And if you have um, any other translations you'd like to see in Japanese that aren't too too difficult, <laughs> I let me just say with my Japanese language abilities. I know enough to get into trouble and enough to get out. Uh, hmm. But with that said, uh, let's go ahead and talk uh, with the games. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. If you'd like something translated, you can reach me at Atari Age, Plaid Mouse, P-L-A-I-D-M-O-U-S-E. M-O-U-S-E. Uh, no relation to Mickey, though he was my <laughs> neighbor once. Honest to goodness truth, uh, for the summer of 2010, I lived in a place called uh, Edobashi Ward. Oh, I'm sorry, not Edobashi, Edogawa Ward. Um, Edo means the Edo River, uh, which is right next to Tokyo Disneyland uh, in, uh, oh, uh, in Chiba, okay. Japan. So Aishiba. I saw the fireworks every night. Honest to goodness, Mickey Mouse was my neighbor. Anyway, I digress. Let's get into the games. Join them. Never heard of this one. Was <laughs> unfortunately unable to play this one. Yeah. Nevertheless, I think it's a really interesting dynamic, trying to combine your five little guys into one big guy in a maze. It's like if uh, Jamie Modrox, uh, the multiple man, or Firestorm's uh, arch nemesis, Multiplex, uh, both having the power of fission and uh, uh, refusion, were in a Pac-Man-like maze up against cute demons instead of monsters slash ghost. I would really like to try this one. Um, so, um, without playing it, I'm just going to give it the benefit of the doubt and give it three out of five continues. It, it really does look fun. Ah, <laughs> uh, now Fozon. This one I know. I first came across it while playing Namco Museum Volume 3 back in the mid-90s. Uh, this was about the time that I really started to gravitate more towards older games, uh, than newer ones, uh, playing a lot of remakes. Uh, just as a side note, Namco Museum Volume 3 is not only the first time I played Fozon, but it was the first time I also played The Tower of Juraga, which <laughs> is a great game if you have the patience <laughs> or a guide yeah. uh, to figure things out. Anyway, back to Fozon. Like Joinum, I think this is a creative game. It reminds me a bit of Quix, uh, or Kix. Kix. Q-I-X, as you need to avoid the spinning pyramid of balls, uh, beautifully animated, by the way, while uh, joining various atoms to create the molecule on display. A simple concept for a game, but made fun and challenging by the programmers. Uh, I wonder if it's because of this game that I decided to torture myself with three years of chemistry classes. (laughs) Hmm... Anyway, Fozon gets four out of five continues for me. I think it's a lot of fun. It's a great challenge. Uh, it's a simple premise that's uh, easy to pick up, uh, but it's still got this weird otherworldly dynamic and uh, music that's just, uh, I just love it. I, I do I like the sound really in the game. game. Okay, final thoughts. I think the theme for this episode is games that have you join slash fuse things together. Yay. Not much of a guess, but there it is. <laughs> I feel like I should say more about Fozon because where else would I be able to talk about it? But, oh well, 
Uh, hope everyone has a great November, a uh, great Thanksgiving if you celebrate, and I'll catch up with all of you later. Thank you very much. This is Plaid Mouse signing out. Signing you out? Know, my Thanksgiving was, I had planned when we were going to New Jersey, I was planning to dedicate a day where I would go to, say, Yesterday's a Red Bank or mm-hmm. Silver Ball in Asbury Park. Well, the thing is, we got there Monday that week. We arrived really late on Monday night, and we planned, rather than going to the rental car place really late and then driving over to New Jersey, we landed in Philly, we would just spend the night in Philly and then drive back the next morning. And by the time we got to my mother-in-law's house in Jersey, I just didn't want to do a damn thing. So, man, thanks for bringing up bad memories there, uh, Plaid Mouse. Now, let's never mention his name again. So, do you have any feedback to his feedback? As far as his feedback goes, I don't really have much to add. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, succinct, and I'm not just saying that because I really don't remember much about the last one. <laughs> <laughs> he just confirmed one thing, and that's that I'll never, ever be able to learn how to speak one of those Asian tonal languages. It's just beyond my yeah my romance slash Germanic focus in non-English languages. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I have enough trouble with German uh, when I try to use it. The own, you know, wo die Herren Toilette? I don't know. So where is the men's room? That's always mm-hmm. important, especially if you have, if you have uh, not going to say it, but super. So, well, uh, we do have a couple of other uh, feedbacks, but we're going to save those for the regular part of the show. Oh, that sounds like lovely. Yes, and uh, they have to do with uh, the current episode, the one they're listening to right now. Talking about which games? Well, since these are basically sequels to each other and they came out around the same time, let's just take them in order. I kind of agree. This time around, I didn't type my notes out, I, uh, but I have uh, my notes written down on a piece of paper for two of the games and the other one's... Uh, the other one I played quite a bit. and um, Okay, here's the deal. Oh. How we're going to rate these games, and Sean and I talked about this before we recorded. Since each, we're not really going to talk about too much about the original games. Uh, there's There are a couple of differences, uh, but nothing really major on the original sure. games. However, the arrangements uh, themselves, what we're going to, what we decided to do, our rating is for the collection as a whole. Uh, we're not going to rate the individual games. However, we will mention which one was our favorite out of the collection and which was our least favorite. We will rank them, but our overall ranking will be based on the machine itself. So that's how we're going to do it. Oh, is it now? I'm going to say right now that, uh, well, no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But yeah, why, why don't we actually say what we're talking about? We Well, yes, uh, <laughs> Namco. In case Cla- people can't read the podcast descriptions on their playback devices. Namco Classics Arcade Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, Namco Classics Collection. Collection. I'm sorry. Classics Collection uh, 1 and 2. Now, I will be talking about Volume 1, and you'll find out why Sean is talking about Volume 2. (laughs) It's pretty obvious once you understand what's going on. Now, each of these two games, uh, two machines, have three classic Namco games on them in both Mm. in an original format and in what they call an arrangement format. The arrangement format has a bunch of twists, updated graphics, updated sound. And one thing I will say about both collections, well, you know, I'm not going to say that because 
they both have the I, I do enjoy the the updated sound on both of them, but I have them a nitpick with the graphics on one of the games. Mm. Um, but I'll get to that in just a moment. In fact, as far as Namco Classics Collection Volume One, there are three games in the collection: uh, the first Galaxian sequel, Xevious, and Mappy. I think what I will do is I'll take them in order as they are displayed on the menu. First of all, you would put your token into the machine, press start, and that will ask you which game you want to play. You'll press start. Both volumes operate that way, by the way. Yeah, both volumes operate this way. Then it'll ask you if you want to play the classic version or the arrangement. Now, one thing I noticed on all of both the collections is that it seems that all of the classic games actually do end at a certain level, but there's a huge variation in which level they end. That is unless the operator sets a dip switch. I don't remember what it's called, but it'll allow it to play forever and ever, you know, as long as you got the skill, which I don't. So, so that's the one, one thing with the originals, obviously you're not going to get the version of the Galaxian sequel that has that bug that allows you to make it to where the enemies, uh, stop firing at you. But, uh, overall, the original games are faithful to the original standalone machines. So with that, I'm going to start with <laughs> the first Galaxian sequel, as people wrongly pronounce it, Galaga. Now, this one was an interesting one to dive into because of all the changes. This one ends at level 30. There's only 30 levels in it, and there's a boss at the very end. And every fifth level is a bonus round. So the very first level, you know, it just plays. And then starting at level 2 through level 4, the levels are called Asteroid Zone. Then you have the bonus round, then an unnamed level, and then 7 through 9 are called the Nebula Zone. It goes again to a challenging stage. Did I say boss level? I meant challenging stage. (laughs) And then after the challenging stage, an unnamed level, and then 12 through 14 is a galaxy. Then 15 and 16, challenging, no name. 17 through 19 are called Space Plant. 22 through 24 are called Space Flowers. 27 through 29 are called Enemy Comb, which the ba- and the backgrounds all kind of uh, look like what uh, the uh, the name of the level is. Like Asteroid has asteroids in the background. Nebula has nebulas. Space Flowers have like flowers in the background. Enemy Comb has like honeycombs in the background. And then mm-hmm. level 30 is the final level. And um, you have to defeat the boss, King Galaspark. Galaspark? Galaspark. 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 The game does sort of play like the original game in that you can only move left and right and you have a fire button. However, instead of one power-up with the twin ship, you have three different power-ups in this game. And you can tell which one you're going to get based on the color of the tractor beam that comes down from the alien. For example, if it lets down a blue tractor beam to catch a ship and you get the ship again, it, it works the same way as the original game where it captures a ship and as the ship dives bomb you, if you hit the enemy your ship will come back down and it'll join forces with you. So the first one, if you have, if it has a blue tractor beam, you will get a wide bullet. If it has a yellow tractor beam, you'll get a super bullet, which means you can just fire more, whereas the original game, you can only have two bullets on the screen at the same time. This one, you, if you have the super bullet, you can have up to, I think it's up to five. If it has a red beam, you'll get a tri shot. You'll shoot the straight up and then at an angle to the left and to the right. One thing I like about that one is it, the shots don't go off screen except at the top. If it hits the side of the screen, it'll bounce off. And so you can get, uh, if you like move close to like one side of the screen, you can uh, make it to where all of your shots like bounce off 
you can get some really good firepower going with that one, but it doesn't fire as fast as the other, uh, other enemies. Exception to the first level, they will populate from different methods into different formations on the screen. And I did notice that in later levels that uh, they might populate the screen, you'll be halfway done killing them, but then more will come back onto the screen and more and more, and they don't just swipe in from the top. Sometimes a, a, uh, like a black hole will open up and they'll come out through that, or a monster will come out with them and they'll go like around in a swirling pattern and... It's kind of hard to describe. You really got to see the game to uh, see what you're talking about because there's some very intricate movements of the enemies in this one. Oh, gosh, and the challenging stages. The first one plays similar to the uh, uh, the original. And if you're going to go into the challenging stage, I highly uh, suggest that you get the wide bullet. Stay away from the red bullet because while it could be helpful, uh, you need more firepower than that offers. But the thing with the challenging stages is the background will rotate and it will, like, disorient you and I believe sometimes it also moves the ships around, so they kind of like turn, and then the enemies will you know just move with it relative to where how the screen is turned, and uh, it's very disorienting. That's about all I've got in my notes as far as the uh, the changes to the arrangement version of the first Galaxian sequel. So, do you have anything you want to say about the first Galaxian sequel before I move on to Xevious? Yes. We have somebody who could potentially settle this whole debate that you and I have been having for 30 years. True. As to how the name of this first Galaxian sequel should be pronounced. Hey, Plaid Mouse, give us a little insight on that, could you? There you go. I will pronounce it the way he says it, because he's more of the master of the language than I am. All right. But until then, I'm going to keep saying the first Galaxian sequel. All right. So. In terms of uh, the arrangement version of it, it interested me as much as the original really? version did. And that is not at all. I, I could not play the damn thing. Huh. I tried, and it bored me so much that I actually shut down my computer and walked away. I didn't even switch to a better game. Really? I, I don't know. I just don't understand I know why... you're not a fan of these kind of games for the most part. Really, none of the Galaxian series does anything for me particularly the first sequel, and I never understood it. The only thing that I could understand is that if you were a longtime gamer and you had played Space Invaders for a long time, and then suddenly you played Galaxian, you're basically subconsciously possibly thinking, it's like Space Invaders, but it's in color. But I, I don't know. I just couldn't, even with the arrangement version. Huh. And I'm... <laughs> Man, my brain hurts just thinking about it. I I don't know. It's just how my, my how I'm wired. I don't know. I I love this one a lot more than the original. I think there's enough going on and enough changes to make it uh, somewhat addicting. I don't know if it's my favorite in this uh, collection, but uh, it's definitely not my least favorite. <laughs> I kind of with only three games that kind of gives your hand away a little bit. Yeah. Right. Hey. Um. Meant to ask you this. The original version of the Galaxian sequel, I think there's like a fast bullet and a slow bullet version or something like that. Mm -hmm. Does that option exist in this version? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Yeah, no, I kind of like it. I like the changes they made to it. I do like the fact that they altered the graphics. All of these games have enhanced graphics. Whether they're yes. better or not, we'll get to with the next game. But like I said, I think there's enough in here to keep it fresh. I like the upgrades to the power-ups. Oh, and one thing I forgot to mention is that if you have one of the dual ships, 
one thing I did notice is that there can be a couple of bus galaxians or whatever you call them come down and put out tractor beams at the same time. So you could have two, three, four of them doing that hmm. at the same time. And if you have an upgraded ship and one of them catches your ship, it will immediately capture one of your ships and revert you back to the original uh, state of the uh, the dual fire, the you know the original. And you have to catch the ship again to get your power up back. So I thought that was interesting. I like this one. Will I play it again? Probably, but n- not that often. I won't. Well, yeah, I kind of figured you won't, but uh, let's move on to Xevious. And this one I played yes. This one I played quite a bit, and uh, this one I actually didn't write notes down or type them off, but uh, I do have a few things. I did some digging on this one. First of all, all of the arrangement games also have an ending, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I played Xevious all the way through to the ending. The one big strike against this version is while the graphics are enhanced, they make it very difficult to, to uh, see the enemies and their bullets. I and, noticed that. I thought there was something. Yeah, and it. Do, I, I do not care for that at all. However, now, as everybody knows, the original Xevious has, and it works the same, you have a blaster and a zapper button. The I believe the blaster was for your ground targets and your zapper was for your air targets. And this one does not have the hidden flags as far as I could tell. I looked everywhere and I couldn't find any. However, they do have the citadels. And instead of being a hidden bonus, they actually, they, I guess they still have kind of the bonus thing in it, but in a different way. If you collect all of them, it'll open up additional levels after the game over. Well, first of all, if you manage to go through all of the levels on one credit, it'll open up extra area one at the end of the game. And if you do it without dying, it'll open up extra area two. And if you find all six of the soul citadels throughout the game, you will have extra area three. So there are three extra areas. I've only found five of the citadels, so I I didn't get to the third area. And uh, if you clear the extra area three and you still have lives, you'll receive a one million point bonus. Ooh. So it's worth it to find the citadels. Find all the cathedrals and you get a million yeah. point bonus. Wow. I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep calling those things cathedrals. Yes, I, I know. I think that was a Matt Burke thing. So I, I, I got Was it Matt Burke? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. I haven't seen him in forever. Oh my God. I still follow. He's still around on Facebook, but yeah, oh, yeah. I haven't seen him in a long, but then it's, again, yeah, I don't yeah and he, he goes to retrocade a lot, but he's never there when I'm there. I'm making it up there this week sometime. I, <laughs> Lord knows I got the time. But uh, one of the other things about this game is that there are power-ups, but they don't really seem to do that much for your ship. I just noticed it makes your shots a little bit wider. That's about it. It's kind of a nothing. Uh, let me see here. I saw a... While you're looking for that, um, the ah, reason that I insist on the pronunciation being called kicks is number one. It says that in the advertising flyer. And number two, it would not be quicks unless there was a U, U. in there. The U right. is what turns a Q into a KW sound. Now, one thing I did find, well, first of all, one thing I liked about this version of Xevious is there's the scene with the resistor shields, the, the, the panels that like flop end over end that you can't destroy. This one, they don't just come straight down. They can come in from the sides at angles from behind you. I didn't see any circular motion, but uh, the fact that they're a little more unpredictable in their moments, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was a nice touch. Unlike the other games, I did find a list of... Uh, enemies and uh, scoring for this game. There's an enemy called the Hekai Kanao Dan, not to be confused with Steely Dan. Uh, he's an air Oh, enemies. yeah, I got that confused. Thank you for saying that. Oh, yeah, well, you're very welcome. 
10 points. And uh, one is another air. These, these first several are going to be all air ones. Uh, the Garu Spyro, Spyro, uh, not to be uh, confused with uh, Spiro Agnew, uh, 50 points. Barazi, not to be confused with Ruth Buzzy, that's uh, 200 points. That I did not get confused. I will say that. Oh, okay. Uh, the Varg. Uh, <laughs> not to be confused with Ferg. Exactly. 60 to 120. The Frosser is uh, 250 to 400 points. Not to be confused with Frogger. The Enazacato. Not to be confused with Hank Aaron. <laughs> is three to 600, 300 to 600 points. Uh, let me see. The Borses is worth 80 to 150. Oh, not the to shield. be confused with Seth Myers. And the shields in this game are called the Yokomuki Bakura. Not to, not be, to be confused, confused with, with Yogi Berra. Or, ooh, that's a good one. I was going to say Yoko Ono, but. Everybody's going to say Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono. There's one called the Leia, which is a, a ground target. That's 1,300 points. Not to be it's confused with It's a song by Donovan, I think, too. Uh, Dorado, not to be confused with El Dorado, is 1,200. The Eddie, E-T-T-I-E. Is twelve hundred points. The power up core is worth a thousand points. The Yokomuki Grabda, two hundred to ten thousand points. Good grief! Now the first Andor Genesis mothership is the Kamochi Andor Genesis, and this is in the areas three and four. This is another air target. Six thousand points per core, twelve hundred per Argo, and eleven hundred for Komodo. Not to be confused with the dragons. Kogata and or Genesis is 3,000 times 3. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, the Kubo and or Genesis in Area 12, that's 8,000 for the core and 1,200 for the Argo. I think the Argos are the uh, the individual pods that shoot. <laughs> and the final boss, the Senken and or Genesis, which is Area 16, is 5,000 points for the core, 1,200 for the Argo, and 1,000 for the Tokushu Hodai. And um, yeah, so... <laughs> Now, those are the enemies in the game. Are they now? Those are the enemies, yes. And I hope you didn't get any of them confused. Oh, of course so. not, no. Oh, well, by the way, I forgot to, mention, forgot to mention that these, uh, these Namco Classic Collections, whatever, I don't remember the name of it, were released in 1995, by the way. So this is one of the newest games that we've covered. Well, Volume 1 was 1995. Spoiler! Uh-oh. And I'm just going to say I wasn't a fan of Xevious Arrangement 2, because I... I don't know. I, I'm not a huge fan of the original Xevious, mm-hmm. but when I played Xevious Arrangement, I I could hardly tell a difference. And I'm thinking, why am I wasting my time with this? There wasn't much the difference in it. Uh, I do like the addi- the addition of the the extra levels. I do enjoy the different uh, the new enemies and the, uh, the movements of the the shields. But the graphics, especially in the beginning of the game, made it really hard to see the enemies, as I mentioned, and. The power-ups were really weak in this one, so this is my least favorite on the first collection, which is a shame, shame, because I really, Xevious is one of my favorite games. (laughs) So, yeah, not a terrible huge fan of this particular collection. So, let us move on. Yeah, let us. To Mappy. Now, this one... Oh, my goodness. Oh, one thing I mentioned... Spoiler, I totally forgot to play. Oh, actually, no, I didn't. I'll I'll get back to that. Anyway, sorry. Go right ahead. Please do. One thing I forgot to mention is all of these games are two players at the same time. As an option. As an option. Xevious and uh, the the, the Galaxian sequel um, both are on the screen at the same time. However, Mappy, even in one player mode, it's split screen. Yeah. So, which I didn't care for that because it made the play field smaller. However, that having been said, on an actual arcade screen... 
It probably works better than it does in emulation on a widescreen. So I'll, I'll give them a little slack there, but I think there's enough changes in this one to make it worthwhile to, to even deal with that. First thing, it, it operates exactly the same as the original Mappy, where you've got doors to open, microwave doors, trampolines. Yes. Uh, however, there are two different kinds of trampolines. There are thin trampolines, which only allow three bounces. They start at green, next bounce, and if you don't land on a level, it turns yellow. And if you bounce on it again without hitting a level, red. Fourth bounce, dead. Sorry, you're not dead, but it breaks. There's also thick trampolines, which um, changes the color every two bounces. So you have six bounces on the thick trampolines, and those are generally on the bottom. So I like that. That's a little helpful. Now, the doors... No me moleste mosquito. No me moleste mosquito. They have the original two doors from the original game uh, where it will open and close, and then you got the, uh, the microwave doors. However, there's two additional doors. The original doors will only open and shut one way. However, there are some that will swing both ways. Okay, then. I really like these, and this added a nice element of strategy to the game. There are ones that will actually close downward, and if you stand on it, and if you open the door when it's in the folded position, then you stand on it, and then you hit the closed door button, it will bounce you up to the next level. I really loved those. That added, uh, there were a couple of times I was in tight situations, and those helped me get out of them. Okay, the bonus round is vertical now. And one thing, I, another thing I like about this one is that where in the original you just had to come pop all the balloons before the, uh, the song ended, this one actually also shows the timer on the screen, which it was sorely needed in the original Mappy for the bonus round. The levels change from like the house from the original to a factory to like, I don't know, one built out of blocks. And I didn't play this one all the way through, but this one definitely also has a end level. But level 12, there's a boss. And it's like the cats are all in like a, uh, I don't know, like I think it's like a, just in a larger robot cat. And you have to get up to a level, open the microwave door, and hit it with the microwave blast. If you go back up to the door and shut it, it'll shut. And then if you give it like, I don't know, two or three seconds, it will recharge the microwave door so you can use it again, which I thought was kind of nice. Did a little digging, and there's actually a, an Easter egg in the Mappy arrangement. I found this on the Cutting Room Floor website. Oh. tcrf.net Mappy arrangement contains a secret realistic animals mode where Mappy, Goro, and the Mukies are replaced with realistic mouse and realistic cats. I haven't tried this yet, but I'm gonna, gonna try this sometime tonight. To activate the Easter egg, hold buttons 1 and 2 on the Mappy arrangement title screen and press any start button while holding the buttons. Hmm. Not gonna lie, when I first played this, the split screen really put me off and it didn't yeah. make me want to play it more. But you really more, need two players for that. Yeah, but the more I played it, the more I kind of enjoyed it. The, I think the twists on this one give it a better playability, especially the spring doors. And I think the graphics work fine with this one. And as I said, they all have all these games have pretty good sound. So uh, sure. yeah, I uh, I rather enjoyed this one. I, and I think this one is my favorite of the collection. My my ranking is Mappy, the Galaxian sequel, and Xevious for this collection. So what do you say, Sean? Yeah, I'm going to be totally honest. Once I saw that weird split screen thing, I I, I tried for like three seconds. I was like, yeah, I can't play this. We, I need a second player. And uh, the problem is I live with one person mm -hmm. and this one person doesn't play video games. And even if she did, she does not know Mappy. Mm -hmm. So 
I was kind of satellite of love with that. And, um, yeah, I, I just couldn't play it. So I, I have a feeling though, that I also would like this the best out of the three arrangements here. And, um, instead I actually went back and played just the original Mappy and had a good Mm -hmm. time. I, that is a game I sorely neglect. Mappy needs to get some more love from Mm -hmm. Sean here. It is a, an underrated, uh, classic. I think the I have the champ games version here that I should dig out. They, they did such a hell of a game, hell of a game, no hell of a job with that one. But I do like this one the most. You, I, as I mentioned, I think if you play this on a bigger monitor in the arcade, in the vertical orientation, that it'll be a lot more fun to play. But uh, I think there's just enough changes in this one to make it a refreshing game. Sure. It's just too bad that they couldn't figure out a better way to do the, the two-player simultaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing I neglected to mention, all these game machines have the uh, joystick and two buttons. You just don't necessarily use them all. So that is Namco Classic Collections Volume 1. Namco Classic Collection Volume 1. So, Sean, what <laughs> are you going to rate this um, collection? R- honestly, I can't I can't go higher than on our Pie Factory scale of 1 to 5 continues. I can't go higher than 2. 2? Mainly wow. because I'm not really a fan of the games as they originally were. Uh-huh. And the arrangements, as far as I can tell, they don't really, they don't really add anything worthwhile to them. The only possible exception would be Mappy, which again, I I don't know. I had a really hard time with because of the split screen and just one player. Mm-hmm. I think what they should have done was if you're only playing one player, do a full screen and mm-hmm. then do a split screen when a second player joins. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I have to give this a four because I think the changes made to Mappy and uh, the Galaxian sequel were enough to keep it fresh and exciting. The game dragging it down is Xevious, which is a game I love to bits, but they uh, they dropped the ball on that one. Mm. In, uh, I do like how the uh, the Soul Citadels in uh, in Xevious actually play more of a part in the game other than just being a, a bonus, so to speak. But uh, yeah, there's... Yeah, that's my least favorite of the collection, but I I give the collection a four. Uh-huh. So let's talk about high scores. Oh, yes, high scores. Having said that, uh, even though there are some locations listed in Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, that have Namco Classic Collection Volume 1, they don't actually register any scores for them. So we have to rely simply on Twin Galaxies, which also in the arcade tracks does not exist for Namco Classic Collection. However, they do have a MAME, well, several MAME tracks, 10 different MAME tracks. So I'll go through those as quickly as possible. Uh, what they have listed for Xevious Original Normal Mode, a user named OOO, the letter O three times, 715,200, December 10th, 2011 for Xevious, Xevious original version, super Xevious mode, same person, 000 191130, December 6, 2012 is when that person got that. And Xevious arrangement, single player, 000 once again, scored 490,790, May 13th, 2020. And Xevious arrangement, two players. A couple of players, uh, one named Hal, H-A-L, another L-O-Z, Lowe's, I guess, I don't know, 83,870. 
performed or submitted actually September 9th, 2022. Going on to the Galaxian sequel, the first Galaxian sequel, original version played through MAME through Namco Classic Collection Volume 1, Twin Galaxy user Foot of God scored 565,420 on September 7th, 2020. Arrangement 1 player, a user named Barra, scored 483,960 on March 8th, 2017. And Arrangement 2 players, once again the two players named Hal and Lowe's, 210,110 on September 28th, 2022. And moving on to Mappy, uh, Twin Galaxies user DBH scored on the original version of Mappy through this collection, 206,120 on January 11th, 2007. Arrangement single player, Richard Masta, 148,500, April 23rd, 2010. And Arrangement two players, once again, Hal and Lowe's, with 55,620 performed on September 13th, 2022. Ah, yeah. Beat that, chappies. Well. <laughs> so, with that, uh, do we have an underwriter? Why, yes, we do. Thank you for asking. Sweet. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got a million toys at Toys R Us that she can play with. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got the best pajama dress. You really flip your head. Now at Toys R Us, the new E.T. cartridge, only $33.97. Help E.T. phone home with the Atari video game system. Now just $124.87. So go to Toys R Us and have a blast. Boy games, more toys, oh boy. So with that, let's move over to Namco Classics Collection Volume 2. Oh, yes. Uh, that's the one I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to get nearly as in-depth as you went with uh, Volume 1, partly because we've already been recording this thing for an hour, and uh, our listeners have other things to do than listen to Pie Factory Podcast, and we have more do things they? to do than record Pie Factory Podcast, which do is we? why I keep rambling on like this. But, oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to start with, uh, I guess, the f- which is the first option that comes up, which is Pac-Man. And Yay. the uh, default Pac-Man game that uh, the screen presents you with is the arrangement version. You actually have to select the original Pac-Man to do that. Having said that, I do want to talk a little bit about the original Pac-Man as it appears in Nanko Classic Collection Volume 2. The reason I wanted to talk about that was uh, a few reasons, actually. For one thing... I know from Class of 81 Reunion and Pac-Man, is it the 25th anniversary collection, that the Pac-Man that is included in those, the sounds aren't 100% accurate. So I wanted to see if that was the case with uh, Namco Classic Collection Volume 2. And once again, the sounds are not 100% accurate. Uh, They're not the same kind of inaccurate sounds that are in the uh, other two things that I mentioned, but the bonus life, the extra life sound is a little bit different. And the bass sounds in the music in the uh, opening theme song and the uh, music that plays during the cut scenes. The bass sounds a little bit more... A little bit more square than Sawtooth. And I think it just boils down to the hardware that was used in the arcade cabinet. Also, I wanted to see if the split screen, the level 256 split screen was in this. 
Sadly, I'm not good enough at Pac-Man to do that. Yeah, I could have used save states, but man, who has time in these post 9-11 times? Well, I, I don't think this doesn't even go up to 255 in the original mode, but anyway. Oh, yeah? I think. I discovered minutes before we started recording that if you go into the... Um, oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because by default it does, but if you go into the, the dip switch to... Uh, or the service mode to service mode. Yeah. Change the setting. You can go forever. So I did forget. I mentioned that even. Yeah. And I forgot about that. Oh God. Yeah. You can choose to end the game at level 21, I think 31 or forever. And, um, I was not able to go anywhere near that. And I didn't want to do save states. And unfortunately, unlike with the original Pac-Man ROM, there isn't a rack advance option. So I couldn't do that either. I'm guessing the split screen is still probably there, which brings uh-huh. me to the next thing. I'm pretty sure in both Class of 81 Reunion and Pac-Man 25th Anniversary Collection, you can continue. In fact, that's how it was discovered not terribly long ago, that that's one way to get past uh, the 256 screen, is you keep continuing until you eat enough dots to bypass it. So... I was wondering if that was an option here. And as far as I can tell, you cannot continue on the original Pac-Man in this collection. There seemed to be a dip switch setting that would allow you to, because I saw an option for allow a discount on continue, but that must only be for the arrangement versions of the games. So they did not tamper with the original to put a continue in there. Oh, by the way, speaking of dip switch settings, I don't know if you noticed it, but In the service mode, you can change, just like with any other arcade cabinet, you can change how many coins you have to put in to get a credit. A lot of cabinets, you can get multiple credits for just one coin. Can't do that in this. The minimum number of coins to get a credit is one. And it goes all the way up to nine. You can set the damn thing so that you don't get a credit until you put in nine coins. Now, in America, wow, that's um, $2.25. $2.25, potentially, to play one stinking one-player game. Good frarking crippity. Now, anyway, getting back to Pac-Man, I'll talk about the arrangement now. The arrangement is uh, a little bit deceptive if you are a Pac-Man fan, because if, like me, you play... Pac-Man arrangement, you might mistakenly think for a moment that you're playing Pac-Mania and you'll try to jump and then you'll find out the hard way that, yeah, yeah, that's not an option here. I was going to say this version of Pac-Man has Pac-Mania vibes all over it, no matter what level. And I kind of enjoy, I kind of like that, but it, and it did throw me for a loop a few times, but I did enjoy that about this version. I do believe there is a power up that does allow you to jump. There are power-ups in the form of, uh, you know, kind of like how in most Pac-Man games you have the bonus prizes that show up, like the fruits and the pretzels and the bike and or trike, actually, and all that. So that you have that here, but among those also are power-ups. For example, there's a speed power-up that allows you to zoom right past everybody. Like, you can have that speed-up power-up and zoom all the way down a path with monsters in the way and go right past them. And the cool thing about that power-up is even though you go right past the monsters, if they're in your way, if you happen to be 
under the influence of an energizer, a power pellet, you will actually eat the monsters as you go by. So that was pretty cool. And speaking of the monsters, just like uh, the original Pac-Man, you have Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde. However, there's an interesting property here in that Blinky and Clyde switch colors in this game. Blinky is actually the orange one and Clyde is the red one. So that that's interesting, at least as far as I'm concerned. And they introduced a fifth monster in this game called oh God. Kinky. I, 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 love, I love the name of this one. Kinky. I, I kind of figured you would, kind of like how there's a uh, enemy in Lock and Chase called Stiffy. But Kinky has some interesting properties, um, if I'm remembering correctly. I didn't. I took very poor notes in the, on these games. But Kinky sometimes has bunny ears. Thing is, because you have five monsters, you have a chance to go up to 3,200 points when you eat the monsters. 200, 400, 800, 1,600, and 3,200. I believe if you eat Kinky first... Oh, here's what it is. I think Kinky can actually absorb one of the other monsters. And if you eat Kinky after Kinky has absorbed another one of the monsters, you get 400 points instead of 200 points. And then the progression continues that way. And explaining the power-ups here is a little bit confusing. There are all kinds of power-ups on this. Uh, There's one that will trap the monsters in place. There's another that gives you automatically a extra life. I believe the default setting to get an extra life by points is 40,000. I might be wrong about that. Uh, There is a set of stairs that could come up every now and then in a maze, and which if you go into those stairs, you cannot change the directions until you leave the stairs. Oh, you know what? I remember what it was. Uh, Yeah, there is not necessarily a jump option. Like, you can't press the button and jump. It's more like there's kind of a trampoline in the maze in which you can jump across to another part of the maze. Problem is, the monsters can also use that as well. I noticed there's one maze in particular later on in the game. The maze is basically divided in half with only one passage between the two halves. But uh, you can jump And you don't necessarily jump across the screen like vertically or horizontally, but you can also, some of them, you jump to a spot diagonal across from where you are as well. And, um, but yeah, there's one maze where it, uh, where the, uh, the jump pads or whatever you call them, make it easier to get back to that other part of the maze. Thing is, I'm just going to cut the crap because there's so much in terms of the various power-ups in Pac-Man arrangement. I'm just going to go straight to kind of my overall thought on it. And then, and, uh, can I mention re- one of the power-ups that I really liked in this one? What is it? There's one, if you get it, it creates a mirror Pac-Man. Oh yeah. 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 And, uh, it, it has the same effect. If you eat a power pellet on the one side, you can still eat the ghosts on the other side. And if you have any dots on the other side, it'll eat those. It just mirrors your uh, your movement. If you move left, the one on the other side of the screen will move right, and vice versa. Up, Ooh, kind of like join them. Move- yeah, actually, kind of <laughs> does feel like join them in a way. But uh, I really love that power. That was a pretty cool. One. If I remember correctly, your mirrored Pac-Man is invincible. Only your original. Uh, Pac-Man. Yes, I believe that's uh, all on a time. However, if one of the monsters gets mirrored, both versions of that monster are dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, talk about a double standard here, man. I didn't know a monster could get mirrored. I didn't see that. I didn't really care much for this version for the arrangement because it just huh. seemed to be, even though I had some cool power-ups and everything, it did get kind of old and repetitive, huh. in my opinion. 
And I didn't even play through long enough to realize that there is a boss character at the end. And of course there is. And, um, it's basically, I guess the emperor monster and, uh, he kind of moves around a stand, just a, a no frills maze, just a basic lattice, uh, I guess in a way. And, uh, you go around collecting dots and, um, there are these little things that pop up now and then little S things. Mm-hmm. And every time you hit an S, the monsters that are in the maze kind of disappear and they jump back into the emperor monster and then they kind of reset themselves. And once you collect all those, then there's a little explosion that happens. And then there's another round in which you have to go through the maze and eat the dots. And with every dot you eat, there's kind of a, I don't know if, if you call it, it like bullet. a bullet to hit the, uh, yeah. to hit the, the boss. Yeah. And then when you, when you eat all those, the boss goes away and you win the game and you get all kinds of bonuses. And by the way, those of you who insist on calling the enemies ghosts in the Pac-Man series, despite the fact that it says on the cabinet itself, both the Japanese versions and the American versions, monsters, people still call them ghosts. It actually says monster on the screen in this game. The enemies are monsters. You get a monster bonus at the end. You also get a unused extra lives bonus, 100,000 for each life. Uh, you get 100,000 for destroying the emperor monster. Your monster bonus, by the way, is 1,000 points for every monster that you eat. You get a fruit bonus. I don't know if everything counts as a fruit, like say a mushroom, which is the second bonus. I don't know if that counts as a fruit or the Galaxian flagship. Because it's a Namco game, you're going to see that Galaxian flagship. Oh, yeah. That's in pretty much every game. Although I didn't see it in the other arrangements. There are (laughs) certain situations in which you can eat more than five monsters. Uh, You have to eat kinky and then the rest <laughs> of the uh, monsters after that uh if that happens you can get to that sixth monster that sixth monster is worth 7650 points and we discussed the uh, trademark of that number before there are some home ports of pac-man arrangement and why do they call it arrangement anyway i, I don't know yeah i don't know that that's a good question it's part of Pac-Man Collection on Game Boy Advance. It's in Pac-Man Museum Plus on the Nintendo Switch, Namco Museum on the GameCube, and also PlayStation 2. Uh, there's also Pac-Man Museum Plus on uh, PlayStation 4, Virtual Console for Wii U Pac-Man Collection, uh, Namco Museum on Xbox, Pac-Man Museum Plus on Xbox One, and um, yeah, craziness all around right there. That's basically my thought on Pac-Man arrangement. How about you? What are your, do you have any further thoughts on Pac-Man arrangement? I liked this one. The boss battle at the end was kind of meh, but, uh, yeah, I, I rather like this one. Uh, I think it ranks, uh, yeah, I can't say it's kind of hard to tell, but yeah, this one, I think it had enough twists to keep it fresh and interesting. And as I had mentioned, it felt like I was playing, uh, a, a stripped down version of Pac-Mania but uh, yeah. overall, I think this one was pretty solid. It was okay for me. I didn't care a hell of a lot for it. And that game is why Sean took Collection 2. <laughs> yeah, because I guess I'm the Pac-Man guy between the two of us. Because so, you're yeah. the Pac-Man. Yes. And uh, moving on to, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Rally 10. I'm Rally sorry, T- Rally X. Rally X, my fault. Now, in addition to Rally X and Rally X Arrangement, there's also new Rally X in the Namco Classic Collection Volume oh. 2. 
I didn't really spend much time with Rally X, and I spent no time with new Rally X. I focused instead on Rally X arrangement, which at first I thought was just the regular Rally X, just with updated Super, graphics. Yeah, that's what my thought was originally, too. But when I went back to it, I realized it's more than that, because you get, just like with uh, Pac-Man arrangement, you get power-ups, and I, I do like the power-ups on this. The way you, you know it's a power-up is instead of a flag, it's kind of like a blue square that you run mm-hmm. over. On the map, before the first challenging stage, on the map that's in the lower right corner that tells you where everything is, it will point to that pow- where that power-up is on the map, and it'll say, Item. So if you go over to that item, you will get one of several different power-ups. One of and, several uh, different items. Yeah. And uh, one of those is the um, Rock Crush power-up. And uh, the way I thought it read was that you could run over a rock. And that's not really what it is. It basically crumbles all the rocks for you ahead of time. That's a handy little one there. Another one that comes up a lot is the Attack power-up. And what happens when you run over that thing is your car is surrounded in flames and you can run through the enemies without being harmed. That's a very handy one. That one's helpful. Yeah, it basically turns this into more of a Pac-Man game than anything. And I kind of like that one. There are several other ones. There's a uh, slow power-up in which uh, all the other cars will slow down for a bit. Uh, There's a runaway power-up in which the cars will run away from you for a while. If you still happen to hit one of them, you're going to die, but hey, at least they'll run away from you. There's a fuel power-up, a bonus power-up that will give you that 7,650 bonus, and um, there are a couple of other ones. There are also different types of cars in this particular version of Rally X. There's one that will uh, gradually speed up, and uh, you want to stay the heck away from that one. There's a uh, drag car that will not show up on the radar unless you run over a specific power-up for that. And um, just like with the original Rally X, if you press the fire button, you can have a little puff of smoke behind you to confuse the drivers behind you. I like that. Uh, I always love the sound effect for that one. And I'll tell you, I really do like the Rally X arrangement. It sure beats new Rally X, that's for sure. I like the updated graphics, and uh, the gameplay is a lot of fun. This one I definitely like better than Pac-Man arrangement. Hmm. And I don't believe there are any boss characters, so to speak, for Rally X arrangement, unless I'm completely ignoring something. Am I completely ignoring something? I don't think there's a boss at the end of this one. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I... Just to make it clear, after the first challenging stage, the radar no longer tells you where the item or uh, power-up is. It's not a challenging stage? Not on this one, no. It's It Ooh. says challenging stage. Nice. Actually, I'm doing a little research here. I didn't play this one all the way through, but apparently they're the final round. You're collecting flags and getting to the goal of the area. So yeah. there's no boss. Re- it's just looks sounds like, like a timed thing. Yeah, yeah, that happens every few rounds. Yeah, which is all the challenging stages. In the game. Yeah, yeah, and you can hit the rocks without dying, but they will knock out some of your fuel. I was hitting rocks constantly in the first one, and I still made it through to the flag, so I was nice. I was happy with there. But yeah, I, I like this one, and I'm going to move on straight to Dig Dug, which I'm going to well, tell you that's... one second. Nope. nope. I'm not as huge a fan of this arrangement. Okay. 
I haven't spent a whole ton of time with it, but it didn't seem to me like there was much to keep me involved. But granted, this is the one I probably played the least out of them, so I didn't spend a whole lot of time on this one. But so far, I think overall this is the weakest. Both of the, the weakest link. Both of the collections. But that's just me. I need, need do need to spend more time with this one. Mm. Now, can we talk about Taizo Hori? Taizo Hori, a.k.a. Dig Dug. Yay! And um, I didn't play the original Dig Dug on this one. I, <laughs> this this machine has uh, has kinky and hoary. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes, it does. Yep. Don't oh, you wish you had my... taken this one instead of me? <laughs> instead of I, I guess is more grammatical. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> Screw it. It's it's too late. Uh, anyway. Kinky and hoary. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of Dig Dug as it is. Um, I don't know. It just seems to be too repetitive, which is why I wasn't really expecting much with Dick Doug arrangements. Like, okay, great. I get enhanced graphics and some power ups. Boo hoo. Uh, turns out that I really ended up liking the power ups and the enhanced graph and a lot because there are a lot more power ups. Well, not that the original Dig Dug has any power ups, but there's some really cool power ups with uh, Dig Dug arrangement. Uh, there's this one uh, that uh, I think seem to remember it looks like an arrow if you run over that it, it's basically a device that runs through the tunnels that you dig and wipes out any enemies that are in the way including you by the way it's it's mm-hmm. a lot like it's like a ball it's like a ball and it'll go through the path and it always seeks out the fastest route to the lowest tunnel that you've carved yeah and it's kind of like that one egg thing in uh, bubble wobble yes 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 that's what it reminds me that's of. what i was yes. trying to think okay. of and one thing that I found really interesting was that there's an enemy in the arrangement called Explosion Robot, which is so called because when you blow it up with your pump, it explodes. Or when you drop a rock on it, it explodes. And I thought that was a pretty cool little effect. And also, speaking of dropping rocks, there are much bigger rocks that you can drop that take up several spaces instead of just one space. And that's always mm-hmm. fun to use. One thing I noticed about that. If you yeah. dig a single tunnel up underneath the one of the double-sized rocks and then you go right or left or whatever direction is to get the other square of dirt underneath it, and then you move out of the way, it will go all the way down even if you only have one uh, tunnel underneath it. Hmm. Those are nice. neat. I love this lot. Oh, me too. Those are fun. Me too. And uh, one of the other power-ups that I came across that I really liked was, oh, what the heck do they call it? There's a ray gun. You pick that up, you can actually shoot your enemies from a distance. That's a really handy one. I do like that one. Yeah, and I'm not going to go through all the different power-ups because a lot of them are very similar for one thing. Uh, It plays just like regular Dig Dug in that basically you get more points for dropping rocks on your enemies than you do pumping them to death. You get more points for pumping horizontally horizontally than you do vertically. and uh, Horizontally. (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) And um, I did find that it's a little bit less forgiving. There was one thing that I do all the time in regular Dig Dug that I can't do in arrangement. I want to say, oh, you know what it is? I think it's when the enemies temporarily turn into ghosts mm-hmm. to fly through oh, the, the walls. Yeah. If you start pumping them when they're still ghosts, you're not going to be able to pump them when they reappear or something like that. There's something about that that was a little bit more challenging in the arrangement version. I don't know if this is in your notes, but I noticed later on in the game, there's an obstacle with, uh, it's a pipe. Yes, yes. And uh, Dig Dug can't move. You, you want, you, this is your game. You talk about it. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, well, I'm glad. Seriously, interrupt me with this because I didn't really take good notes here and I'd like to be okay. reminded. But yeah, they're metal pipes. You cannot, they're basically obstacles. You have to move around. And there's one level uh, later on. There are a lot more than one levels, bub. Well, there, well, there's one level later on where uh, Dig Dug is encased in a circle of a pipe and you can only move in that circle. But all of the enemies can like turn into a ghost and go through the pipes. I think uh. there's a, only one. I think it's a double rock in the middle, and you have to either get them all with the rock or uh, pump them all until they explode. I really liked that level a lot. I thought that one was unique and interesting. Uh, it added a neat challenge to the game. Yeah. And uh, basically, I, I should have started with this, but you are playing multiple levels in a world, if you will. And uh, you start the round with a map that shows you wh- basically where you are with a little rectangular patch. And every time you clear the board, you move on to another rectangular patch in that world. And I think there are two worlds. There's three islands. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, three islands. There's a a large island, a small island, and then there's the boss island, essentially. Yes. I really liked that a lot. While you can't select the level, it did have a feeling of like some of those uh, Taito games like uh, Bust a Move and uh, I believe one of their other puzzle games I can't think of a name of off the top of my head where because it gives you a choice to uh, select, you know, which level you want to do next. Yep. It kind of has that feel, even though it doesn't let you uh, select a level. I really like that. I thought that added a lot. Oh, yeah. I liked it, too. I like it, too! You know what? I'm going to go out and say, even though they don't, it doesn't really say it, this game felt like it actually had a bit of a story to it. Yes. Yes, it absolutely did feel that way. And that map screen made it really feel like it a lot, and... uh I'm going to show my hand here right now, but I think this is the strongest out of all the arrangement games in both. I think, oh, I feel the same way by far that it's the, it's the best one. And the thing is that map is what prompted me to keep playing all the way through. I would, if I lose my last life, I'd hit continue. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is the only game that I, that I felt worthy of doing it because I wanted to see what happens. I was disappointed that once you beat the boss character, the game's over, though. Yeah. That's basically a way for (laughs) to make more money, obviously. I was hoping it would start over or something. Yeah, all of the games in the collection did that. Yeah. But thing is, I really liked the boss character sequence on there. And uh, there are two different ways of defeating the boss. One is uh, depending, well, it depends on which boss character around it is. You collect the ray gun and you shoot the boss repeatedly until the boss dies. Mm-hmm. The other way is that there are explosion robots mm-hmm. on the screen yep. and you have to pump those things and make them explode in the vicinity of the boss character. And you have to do that until the boss character is dead. What's the boss character's name in this game? Oh my goodness. Oh, there's a big Puka and big Figar. That's what it is. And of course you are... In extra danger with Big Figar because Big Figar will shoot fireballs at you. Not to be confused with Big Kmart. Of course, nobody's making that confusion these days. Oh, of course, yeah. You know what? We're going to have to find... I, I don't know if the Galloping Ghost has them or Retrocade has these or not, but we're going to have to find these and play these two players simultaneous because I bet even on the uh, the versions that you're not a huge fan of, I bet the two players on those would be just pretty damn fun too oh yeah yeah this neither, one i think would be the best but i i want to play as two player i don't think any of the dedicated arcades in the area have them mm-hmm. we'll have to find a way to do it yeah i mean because th- uh according to arcade.com i don't know how updated this is uh there's a feck in batavia that has it another one in uh, tinley park that has volume one 
Uh, volume two, I th- there's a, is GameWorks and Schaumburg still around? I because that's listed think, as having so. volume two. Let me find out. Really. Yeah, GameWorks and Schaumburg is supposed to have it. Cinemark Theater in Melrose Park also. And the thing is, yeah, these Namco collection cabinets, they don't seem to be really made for arcades. They're made for if you want to have a couple of cabinets in your in your business or possibly even your home just for S's and G's. It looks like there's only one GameWorks and it's in Seattle. There's one at Woodfield Mall. Oh, there- oh, okay, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, the one in Schaumburg is permanently closed. Ah. And it was at Streets of Woodfield. It wasn't at, actually at Woodfield Mall. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think I heard something about it being closed. I've only ever been to that GameWorks one time. It was the only place I ever saw the um, Guitar Hero arcade game. Oh, man. That's a shame. Oh, I think Dave and Buster's has that. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. In Rosemont, I think. But we'll have to find a way, whether it's in person on somebody's computer or whatnot, to play these yeah. games two-player. Because, like I said, I think two-player, all of the games, even the weak ones, would be fun. Oh, I'm sure of it. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, Dig Dug was my favorite. This one looks really like it would be the most fun. I really liked Dig Dug Arrangement quite a lot. I loved the original Dig Dug, but I think I like this one a lot better. Yeah. With you, that's a nothing because you were not a huge fan of the original Dig Dug. No. In fact, just talking about this made me uh, up my uh, continue scale on this. Up your continue scale. What is your continue score on this? How many continues you know are you going to rate? I originally rated it a four, but thinking about it, about how much fun I had with the Dig Dug, I upped it to a five. I'm going to stay at a four myself. Okay. Because of Dig Dug arrangement, really. I think it's a better selection of games, really. Um, my least favorite of the arrangements is Pac-Man arrangement, honestly. I got to disagree with that. My my least favorite uh, was the, I would say Rally X. Really? Okay. I definitely prefer Volume 2 over Volume 1. And by the way, Volume oh, 2 definitely. came out in March 1996. Nah, yes, that's right, 1996. Yeah, and uh, Volume 1 was 95. So great. So, uh, Woohoo! I'd say we'd have a theme for these, but it's really kind of obvious. Yeah. Two Namco arcade games that had updates of their original, of some of their original titles. And by the way, wasn't there something else you wanted to talk about briefly? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to mention, I haven't played it for this one, but I played it in passing. If you go into MAME, there is an Atari Arcade Classics. In fact, let me get the original actual title of it here. Uh, Arcade Classics from Atari Games, uh, copyright 1992. It's their 20th anniversary thing, whatever. It has Super Centipede and Missile Command 2 on it. And from what I've played... It doesn't seem like there's much in the way of uh, updates on these other than the fact that they are two players at the same time. Optional. Optional, yeah. I really dig the updated graphics on the Centipede one. Kind of reminds me of the uh, of the Xevious on the uh, Namco Collection one, but uh, it's easier to see what's going on. Sure. The Missile Command one, it actually names the cities. Yes, as what New York, New York, London, Paris, Moscow. London. That's one thing I do like about it is it uh, it wasn't all an us versus them thing when it comes to international politics because uh, there were cities for countries that were known to be questionable or enemies at the time that are also targets in this game. It's all against a space enemy. One big difference between Missile Command Two and the original mm-hmm. is when the game's over, you don't get that 
very ominous the end screen it just ends it's just over and it gives you your high score table eh, kind of anticlimactic climactic i don't know but uh well it's anticlimactic too because man that's nuclear destruction it completely wipes true. out the climate true true in terms of gameplay though i could not tell a difference whatsoever no. between those in the originals because uh, Centipede, I was playing that, and it felt like I was playing the original. I was using the exact same strategies mm-hmm. and getting roughly my what I usually score on original Centipede. But I do think it's neat that they uh, chose two trackball games yeah. normally in this sort of thing. Uh, oh, and it doesn't have an FBI warning either. It has a <laughs> an EPA uh, recycle it message in the game, by the way. Hmm. I think they're worth a look. I can't see going back to try them again, but... I think they play well, and the graphics are fine. There's just not a whole lot of uh, upgrades. You'd expect some sort of, like, uh, bonuses and stuff like that that just don't happen. But, uh, come on, show the Missile Command one. I want to see what all cities... I know it's London, New York, and Moscow. Okay, it's Paris, New York, San Francisco, London, Moscow, and D.C. So, it's worth a look. There's nothing groundbreaking, but, again, they might be... Well, unless the missiles land on the city, then uh, they'll definitely break the ground. Well, yeah, that's true. So... Just thought we'd mention that as an aside, because I don't think we'd ever talk about that. And this is just the perfect opportunity to, don't you think? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And uh, in this, uh, what's going to be a supersized edition of Pie Factory Podcast, we have some feedback to uh, hear, to address, to whatever. F-E-E-D-B-A-C. Feedback. 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 Yes, so let's listen to uh, Craig Schober. Yes. Namco Classics, Volume 1 and 2, Review. Everyone enjoys a good reboot. Actually, that's not true at all. Most reboots are just cash-ins using a bunch of old licenses with a fresh coat of paint. I suppose most game reboots serve as an introduction to the classic titles for a younger generation, so I'm not the target audience. But then I have to ask, why did you guys pick this to review? At least the original games are also included in these volumes. Classics like Dig Dug, Pac-Man, Rally-X, Galaga, Xevious, and Mappy are all represented here in both original form and arrangement, as their updated versions are called. (laughs) The updates are very hit and miss, mostly miss. They all lack the simplicity and intensity of the original titles. I mean, Rally X arrangement looks nicer, but feels like it plays slower. Dig Dug has new enemies and fancier subterranean graphics with character shading, but there's a boss level, which really feels out of place in this game. Pac-Man arrangement has a few niceties, such as turbo boosts in the maze and pills that also speed you up. But... It's that kind of redundancy I expect in updates of games like these. They feel designed by committee. Throw a lot against the wall and see what sticks. Put sunglasses on a character to make them cool for the kids. Play upbeat dance club music in the background, not because it fits or parallels the action, but because you can. I realize the original Xevious music can grow quite monotonous quickly, but when I was young, It always drew me over to it like the ultimate attract mode for players, just like me. The arrangement version of Xevious contains all the original enemies, including those rotating metallic tiles. And they even reverse direction and come at you from behind, which is a nice touch. But most of the original sound effects have been replaced with muddier, generic samples of shooting and explosions. Yeah, I'll give them that. 
Again, they seem to prefer sampling sound effects simply because they can, not because it sounds better. All these games have the ability to continue by throwing extra quarters, so the cynic in me is assured <laughs> that this is just a money grab, but again, whose money? Back in the 90s, I recall visiting a large arcade in Las Vegas. It was kind of like a Dave and Buster's, but with slot machines too. In keeping with that slot machine vibe, there were many 50 cent and $1 games that rely more on short-lived spectacle than actual skill. I saw some of those classic Namco remakes, so I had to try them, but mm. I felt more like I was playing the intermissions from Pac-Man mm. more than I was playing the actual game itself. That's right, Pac-Man They only succeeded in reminding me how much more I enjoyed the originals, and the only incentive I had to get further in the game was the need to get rid of all those jingling, non-refundable tokens in my pocket. Rather than continuing with my rant, I'd like to relay a story about why some of these games are so important to me. My father worked for Warner Communications back in the early 80s. That means I told all my friends that my father worked for Atari, since they were purchased by Warner back in 1976. He worked in Warner's computer video division as a VP, so while he didn't technically work for Atari and wasn't in their coin-op or game divisions, he might as well have been. After all, he did bring home beta copies of all kinds of games, oh, made awesome. copies, and even copied cartridges for a few of my close friends, and of course, we owned just about every Atari game and computer system that existed. I actually spent most of my time on an Apple II playing pirated games and creating both text and graphical adventures in BASIC. But that is another story for another time because amidst all these computers and games, the biggest treat of all was going into work with him on weekends to the Warner Building in New York City. Sometimes it was just me and my brother and sometimes we got to bring friends with us. The first time I ever saw Dig Dug was in the employee lounge there. Oh, nice. It was set to free play alongside the obscure but quirky Electric Yo-Yo by Taito huh. and the Atari classic Tempest. They occasionally swapped in other games, but these games made a real imprint on me, especially Dig Dug. One day my father pulled me and my brother away from the Dig Dug cabinet and into an office of one of his colleagues that was working over a weekend to meet a deadline. They sat us in front of a monitor and handed us a joystick to share. They left me and my brother alone for about 20 minutes playing a home version of Dig Dug. Hmm. It was bizarre to play a close approximation of the Dig Dug I was just playing in a full-size cabinet, now on a small monitor connected to a personal computer on a table in front of us. I later realized it was the Atari 800 version, and my father's colleague was the programmer assigned to port Namco's Dig Dug over to the Atari's newest home computer. I feel slightly embarrassed when I think back on it now, but after we finished playing Dig Dug, the programmers, whose name I can no longer remember, asked us a series of questions about the game. I proceeded to tell them that Dig Dug character was too fat and moved too slow and the dirt didn't look right and the pumping animation for Puka and Figar wasn't nearly as good Holding as the, the arcade. Monster. He was gracious enough to overlook my harsh critique and seemed to actually listen to me. At the end of the day, he handed us a framed certificate stating that we took part in a super secret project oh, for Atari. Nice. I've had tons of Atari memorabilia over the years, but this became one of my most treasured possessions, not for what it was, but what it symbolized. I was beta testing video games before me or anyone else even knew that it would become a career for only the most weary of hardcore gamers. When we eventually got an official copy of Dig Dug for Atari 800, 5200, and 7800 systems, 
I could swear that the Atari 800 version was just a little better than I remembered when I first played it at Atari. I like to think that I actually made a small difference in the final <laughs> version release. Thanks for indulging me in my story. Even though hey, I no currently problem. like Mr. Do more, when I play games like Dig Dug, it reminds me Girl, how excited same. I could get about technology as a child and also that we each have our own Dig Dug. And some of those Dig Dugs are cheesy reboots from the 90s that don't mean much to me, but do mean a lot to some kid or maybe the parents of some kid who are trying to share their memories through technology. Because they also included the original titles unscathed, I give Namco Classics Volume 1 and 2 4 out of 5 continues. Huh. Well, I didn't think he was going to give it a 4 out of 5 because of uh, how he was down on the arrangements. And um, Yeah. Yeah. First of all, Craig, cynics <laughs> are <of> more <laughs> than welcome here. But We're cynics ourselves. Exactly. But I think the the one important thing that he said in there going back to his everyone's got a dig dug speech. Enjoy what you enjoy. Like what you like, you know? Yeah. It's not healthy to put down people because they like something you don't or whatever. There's a lot of that on. When you talk about pizza, you're going to get into a whole freaking argument. Just let, whether it's the pineapple or Chicago style or whatever, enjoy what you enjoy. And he's exactly right. I mean, everybody's got the thing they enjoy. Enjoy it and don't give two flying flips about uh, what anybody says about it. Yeah, whether they like uh, delicious uh, Detroit thick crust, Chicago deep dish, Chicago thin crust, or that disgusting New York <laughs> cheesy, crappy, bleh, <laughs> droopy ass, foldy thing. I have been getting into Detroit wrong style for liking. Uh, Detroit style is actually pretty good. I like I like Detroit yeah. style a lot. I really yeah, do. I do too. So, uh, but that was a, that, I love that story, Craig. Craig that was a good. Shared. That Thank was a great you, story. Was, yeah, I would. Yeah. Oh, go, building on that. Right one. now, I'm seeing the Fulton brothers steaming in <laughs> jealousy. My brother had a friend uh, in our neighborhood growing up whose dad worked for Hasbro. And every time my brother would oh. go over there, he had the newest G.I. Joe toys. And my brother oh. was jealous. <laughs> At least that's the story. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Only my brother knows. I'm going to have to ask him about that next time we uh, sure. get together. But uh, still, thanks uh, thanks for your submission, Craig. We, as per usual, we always accept audio and written submissions from all of our listeners. Of course. In fact, we got another one from Plaid Mouse. So shall we? Oh, uh, Plaid Mouse. Shall we uh, get to it? Yeah, I believe we shall. All right. Hello, 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 Pie Factory uh, podcast uh, subscribers and fans. Uh, this is Plaid Mouse coming to you for episode 143. Uh, sorry for getting my submission for episode number 142 in a few hours late. Yeah, uh, but now you'll have a double dose of Plaid Mouse. Woohoo! Let's just uh, consider again what a fun and unique game Fozon is. Almost <laughs> as good as Robotron 2084. Yeah, I said that on purpose. Well, watch out for snakes because <laughs> I would buy that for a dollar. Okay, enough goofing around. Let's we don't get to have the a game. thing for that, do we? Namco so. Classics 1. I haven't played this arcade, but I've played most of the games on it. And I love all the games that I've played for, for both this and, and Namco Classics 2. So let's let's talk about the specific games. Galaga, Galaga, or as the Japanese say, Gyaraga. Oh, Gyaraga. Gyaraga. thank you, Plaid yeah, Mouse. Yeah, in there. So. Gyaraga. Galaga. Kind of interesting. I Galaga. usually pronounce it uh, Galaga. Um, Galaga. I guess if you wanted to flatten it out, 
uh, Galaga is is fine. But yeah, the Japanese uh, actually say Garaga. Um, it's kind of interesting. I've known this game for a very long time. I I had the game uh, for my Atari 2600 when I was a little little kid. Love the artwork on that game. I just I could just imagine myself, you know, being <laughs> that wasn't out on there, the Atari 2600 uh, when I was a Hmm. flying those cool Plot insects thickness. looking like ships, you know, with the sun in the backdrop. It's just, it's just the Atari 2600 artwork for, for this game is just awesome. I love the tractor beam in, in the game. I just think it, it adds so much to, you know, games that are kind of homages, potashes, you know, ripoffs of, uh, of Space Invaders. But I really think the tractor beam adds a lot. And then, spoiler alert, um, you know, you can shoot and get your ship back if you do it just right. And double firepower is just amazing. I spent so many hours playing Galaga on, on, on a cabinet, on a, a Galaga slash Miss Pac-Man cabinet in, in college. Uh-huh. Um, between the years of 1998 and 2002. And, oh, it was so much fun. I have a high score written down in one of my textbooks somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Galaga gets five out of five continues from me. Xevious! This is a huge game in Japan. I mean, like, really, really, really popular. And uh, so much so that it's it's made appearances in uh, some of their um, kids' um, TV shows, uh, the one uh, the special effects shows like Kamen Rider and uh, Super Sentai, or what we call the Power Rangers. You know, Urutraman. It's 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 appeared in in some of those shows. Um, so it's it's incredibly popular, and I, it's one of my favorite games on the Atari seventy eight hundred. So yeah, I just I just really love playing this game. It's a great game. Uh, I've never played uh, Super Zevia, so I'll have to try that out um, and, and get better <laughs> <laughs> at it on the Atari 7800. But uh, Zevius gets five out of five continues. Mappy, great game. Uh, a cousin of mine uh, who passed away oh. a few years ago uh, loved this game. It's, oh, just man, a, sorry. it's such a fun and unique game, you know, where you can't just go and bash the enemy. You got to think about what you're doing, you know, and, and using the trampolines and, you know, getting the. Um, the stolen artwork in the right order and being careful of the kitty cats. It's it's just great. I played this a lot on my uh, Famicom, which I Famicom. bought while I lived in Japan. And, um, yeah, I just it, it never gets old. It's, it's such a great game. Uh, Mappy gets five out of five continues. All right, on to Namco Classics 2. Uh, I haven't played this arcade either, but like Namco Classics 1, I have played most of the games on it. Pac-Man. Now, why wasn't this on Namco Classics 1? I don't know, but that's okay. <laughs> Uh, it's it's here on Namco Classics 2. Because who hasn't played Pac-Man? I mean, well, I actually have a student who I'm supposed to be teaching here in, in, in a moment. She uh, She's never heard of it, and I made I, I gave her oh homework. Oh, my goodness. It's like, you got to play Pac-Man. I have a, a picture of Pac-Man and his maze on my office wall and a, a sticker of him on my computer um, and where he's eating some terrified monsters or, or ghosts, whichever you prefer. Uh, I love all the variant games, too. And here's a controversial take. He's better than Mario. Pac-Man's better than Mario. Um, um, I got no problem with I that. I think about that. Grenade pins have been pulled and thrown. So, uh, well, the grenades hopefully have been thrown, not just the pins. Uh, <laughs> Pac-Man gets five out of five continues. Just one of the best games ever. Uh, and he and I are the same age, so how can I not like him? Mm. All right, Rally X. Love this game. It's such a fun racing game while using a map, just like real rally racing. Really need to try uh, the new Rally X. I haven't tried that. But yeah, this is, uh, it, this, honestly, this is one of the best racing games ever. I, I would play this any time. Five out of five continues. 
Uh, Dig Dug. It's another great game. Uh, I have a screenshot of the game on a t-shirt. I like the Famicom version a bit more than the Atari 7800 version because it controls just a bit better, but I really should find some new controllers to replace the plain line controllers for my 7800. Mm. Again, 5 out of 5 continues. So thanks for revisiting these games, guys, and uh, being patient with my submissions. I'm working on getting uh, audio submissions on time for every episode. Uh, Have fun with your favorite games, everyone. And um, I just want to say, if you haven't already, and this is, I'm saying this to myself uh, as well, please uh, donate to to Jim for his uh, uh, National um, MS Society uh, fundraiser. Um, oh yeah, and, we should uh, link that in the show notes. Other things the guys are working on. So, uh, so Jim and Sean, thanks as always. Everybody, thanks. And this is Plaid Mouse saying, "See you next time." Thank you. I totally well, thank you. Plaid you know what? Mouse. I haven't thank, done any a... fundraising for uh, much fundraising for Bike MS yet, I had, because uh, I've got uh, other things uh, going on right now. Uh, I had to keep that in uh, in my back pocket. But starting the first of the year, I'm gonna I'm gonna go full uh, full force on it. So just thought I'd throw that out there, yeah. but we will put a link. Yeah. Send the link to our webmaster who will put do. it on our website. Uh, there was something I was going to say. Yeah. Plaid Mouse, go ahead, go back. First of all, thank you for uh, telling us how to pronounce it, Gayaga. And uh, that's uh, going to be the way I pronounce it from now on. Uh, since you're more, you're an authority <laughs> on the Japanese language. <laughs> I love how we, when he gets to like Japanese-ish words, he actually pronounces them as like yeah. the Japanese so way. Gayaga. I, I like I love it. That. It's, it's unique. Nobody else pronounces it like that. And it could be our thing, even though it's probably the correct way to say it. So, Gayaga from now on. And by the way, if I interpreted what Plaid Mouse said correctly, that he never played the new, I don't know if he means the arrangement or the game that is literally called New Rally X. And uh, we talked about both that and Super Zevious in uh, episode 92 of this podcast, which I believe was released on April 1st. Yeah. Uh, two thousand. I think that's one of our best. Or other, I don't remember. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Very in depth. Very. Um, it's a yeah, ninety I, minutes. I recommend plus, going back to that one. It doesn't sound like he played any any of the arrangements, and I would encourage you to play the arrangements and let us know what you think about them. Absolutely, yeah. Get it to us. Uh, who knows? We might uh, make, keep it, make it its own special episode for the new year. Well, we'll include it with some new Aww. year's uh, wishes <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah. uh, yes, thank you for that. And uh, let me think. There was something else I was going to say. I don't remember what it was. Okay, letting you think can be a dangerous thing. I can't think of anything. So, so uh, Sean, mm-hmm. what do you have to say about uh, what Plaid Mouse told us? You know, I got so wrapped up into yeah. listening to him that I didn't really think I know, of any me too. kind of, I just kind of commented as I heard, but you know, cause it was so fast. We had it was some really great feedback from both uh, Plaid Mouse yeah. and uh, Craig. It felt like I was listening to someone else's podcast. I was really digging As it. always, we welcome replies to our editorials. Yes, absolutely. Oh, you know what? We should look for, uh, for that on, uh, what's the website? Um, Fuzzy Memories. Back in the 70s when they used to Talk have TV. editorials on the news and then they would have like the replies. I, I don't know why, but when I was oh, a kid, yeah. I always loved listening for the replies. <laughs> don't ask me why. But uh, Why? Um, oh, never mind. Sorry. So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, that's uh, all we have to say. And uh, send us feedback. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your work day. Yes. Uh, uh, for uh, sending us this feedback. Um, me, I am not a time stealer. <clears throat> but anyway, um, 
I guess that that's really really it though for for episode 143. Or am I am I am I calling it too soon? Uh, well, we have people to thank first of all. Oh, absolutely yes, and I will do that on behalf of both of us, uh, starting immediately. Thank you, D. Alex, Mike Hat N. J. Dean Schmidt, Nate Lockhart. Oh, he has a new, uh, well, new to me at least episode of Memory Machine. Yeah, I have not listened to it yet. I I'm think so I backed up. To it. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh my god, he makes he makes things that I never ever ever think of sound like the most interesting thing in the world. I think it was oh my uh, was it this year or last year he had a uh, a Halloween episode about uh, things they like to watch during uh, the Halloween season. Oh there yeah, was one. It was I I looked it up. It was uh, mockumentary. It was uh, some new station, some new stations uh, Halloween special. And it was done up like an actual news report, and they were. It kind of it was had a feeling of like the uh, Geraldo Rivera in the uh, oh, okay. vault sort of thing, except they were going into a house and they were conducting seances and stuff. Huh. And then things start to go awry while they're in there, and it was. I trying to remember the name of it, but oh god, that was really good. And as we always say about Nate, he has got a great, <laughs> great voice for this oh, sort yeah. of work. Yeah. And uh, we always, I always look forward to what he uh, has to say, whether it's an episode that I'm interested in or not. Just because he's so, you know, he, he he's like the Barry White of uh, podcasting. I wouldn't go that just, far. His voice is so smooth. He's not going to turn out the lights and try to seduce people with him. Going to uh, make love to your woman. <laughs> But anywho, uh, thank you, Nate. Uh, thank you also to PJ Steele and uh, Timmy Mack, Christian Williams, Underground Retrocade. I got to get there. I haven't been there in a while. Uh, Me neither. I'm trying to go, try to get there this week. Thank you, Mark Super, Retro Game Club Podcast, SNES Podcast. Thanks, Greg. Richard Valdez. Thank you, James. Ten- oh, my God, James. I'm so sorry. I'm still not sure how to pronounce your name. James, James Tenmouth, I'm going to say. Uh, Kevin Bean, Daniel Chavez, Rory Coleman, Kurt Musgrave, Craig Schober, Plaid Mouse, Keith Sheehan, and Atari Bytes. Thank you all. And thanks to the newest addition to our Pie Factory podcast, Patreon family, Commodore Chronicles. Thank you so Yay, much for your support. Thank you. And uh, yeah, that's all we have to say. Uh, this is um, obviously going to be our final episode for the year 2023. Yes. We might have a special one on New Year's, but uh, this is the last official mainline, mainstream episode. It's the last one you're going to hear from me, at least. True. So uh, we'll put it to you that way. So, yeah, thanks, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful Christmas, uh, whatever holiday you celebrate. I'd wish you a wonderful Hanukkah, but Hanukkah's already over by now, so I can't do that right now. Hope you all had one, a wonderful one. So, uh, yeah, happy everything. Happy uh, New Year's Eve and day and everything else that comes with it. It's 8 p.m. Boulevard Watch Time. On Christmas, say Merry Christmas. On New Year, say Happy New Year. So what games are we talking about next episode? I don't know. Well, I'll let you know, <laughs> Cabinet Sanchez. We're going to talk about Buggy Boy. That's right, Buggy Boy, Buggy Boy. And X-Men. 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 There's a couple of X-Men games, but this is the, this is, I think, the first of the X-Men games in the arcade. So. Yep. What could the theme be? Oh, what could it be? I got to look because I think the theme I have penciled in for that one we may have already done. All right. Well, let's end this episode because I got to feed the dog apparently. So, um, yeah. Is that a euphemism? No, that is a, it is unfortunately not a euphemism. For a euphemism, my life would not be in danger right now. Ah, gotcha. I do forget you have a beagle. Yeah. Okay. So bye-bye everybody. Support your local arcade. And what are you saying, Sean? Three sides of one. There we go. Okay. Bye-bye. That was for Jimmy G.
That was for me. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy CTA Holiday Train, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Merry New Year!